gonemobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Telerik UI for Xamarin is a collection of more than 70 Xamarin forms and Xamarin wrappers. A theming mechanism with a built-in predefined theme, predefined Visual Studio item templates, MVVM support, and more. The toolset offers fast-loading, excellent drawing capabilities, pixel perfection, and stunning UI, all while providing flexible customization. One C-sharp project, three native mobile apps. Release your inner .NET Ninja and create awesome cross-platform mobile apps with Telerik UI for Xamarin. For more information or to download a trial, visit Telerik.com slash Xamarin dash gone mobile. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Mobile. Um, I'm excited to be joined by uh, a former guest, actually, who I think it's probably been two or three years since uh, you were on the show. Two years. Um, and you were on a totally different team back then. Uh, but I'm excited to welcome Kirill back. How's it going, man? Good, thanks. Oh, great to be here again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love our last recording. Yes, I so I worked in Microsoft for a while, uh, and I were on a variety of products. Uh, my latest gigs were Azure Mobile backends. Notification hubs, mobile services, and now I work on uh, Azure Cosmos DB. Awesome, yeah, and I'm super pumped. I've been wanting to do a, a Cosmos show basically since it was announced back at, at Build this year because it's just a really cool tech. Um, so I'm really excited to have this on the calendar, and it's it's awesome to to be doing this in person too. This is uh, another one of the the podcasts in this series where uh, we're able to record live at Connect here in, in New York City. So it's it's always fun to to meet up in person to chat. Um, How's New York been treating you out of curiosity? Oh, it's great. Great. Yeah, no, I love Connect. I think the benefit of the conference like Connect is that you can achieve so much better focus and quality. Like when you have built or ignite large, massive scale conferences, um, things just get lost. It's just such, it's such a fire hose. Mm. While at Connect, I think we can, do, uh, we can do justice to every announcement, every topic. And we cover, and it's uh, we can do uh, a lot better. And um, it's yeah, I, I was very impressed with with level of organization. Awesome. Well, one of those topics, like I said, is is Cosmos. So um, let's let's dig into to the new stuff that that you're working on. What what is Cosmos? Yeah. So Azure Cosmos DB, um, Azure Cosmos DB as a tech has been around for some time, uh, like six years, I think, uh, maybe maybe even longer. Uh, we announced it uh, recently, at uh, I think a year ago, um, as a globally distributed multimodal database as a service. Right? It's um, it's an it's it belongs to the family of NoSQL. Although, I mean, definitions always uh, <laughs> uh, hard to go through. But um, at the root, it's it's a database uh, that allows you to store any type of data, any kind of data in. It's a managed database, so you don't need to worry about VMs, CPU, disk I/O. That's taken care of you. Uh, it's a globally distributed database, so it can transparently to you bring the data anywhere where your users are. Which is especially like I, I come from the mobile. Uh, I spent uh, quite a bit of time in mobile space, and it's we always were worried about the latency. Uh, how to make the app responsive, right? And the, it's very important. And with Cosmos DB, uh, it transparently can bring data to the nearest region to you. Um, so your app can be very responsive. Um, Cosmos DB is a managed uh, elastic scalable and infinitely scalable on both throughput and storage. So uh, managed is a spectrum. So you can be managed by, you can mean just you just manage VMs. 
or with Cosmos DB, it's actually all the way you give it a throughput and you get a guarantee for that throughput. Doesn't matter how much data you store. Um, so if you say that I want 100 million or 10 million requests or a million requests per second, we're gonna give you that million requests per second. Doesn't matter whether you're storing a petabyte or a terabyte. Um, and it's uh, elastically scalable. You don't need to worry about sharding or anything like that. You just store that, you define a partition key and we store, the, we scale and keep scaling it out behind the scenes using your partition key. Um, Cosmos DB is, uh, provides guarantees on uh, latency, throughput, availability, consistency. Um, so it, it, I think it's the only service that does it. Uh, yeah, that, that was actually going to be something I was going to comment on. When I remember when watching the announcements back at Build, like that was one of the things that, that really stood out at me of, you know, I, I haven't seen that from other service providers before, of having an actual SLA on, say, database responsiveness. Um, you know, like I'm really curious to see if someone like Amazon starts trying to, to copy that sort of model, if they get sort of pressured into it from, you know, from seeing Cosmos pull that off. But I, I think that's really interesting and, and pretty awesome. And we've got a very positive response, especially from uh, areas where uh, real-time response—it's uh, real-time data, real-time experiences where it matters. Um, yeah, folks really look for. Okay, if I know that my latency will be within below 10 milliseconds, always—that's um, comforting. Um, specifically for mobile apps, what's interesting is that you can talk to mobile to Cosmos DB directly. You don't have to go through a middle tier, so you can cut down even further. Um, that there is a round trip cost, which is like like we were we were struggling with it in mobile services. I remember, um, it's uh, you can you can see the visibly difference when you hook your app talking directly to the database. Interesting. Is that actually a, a model that that you would generally recommend? I mean, the the sort of classic you know uh, app architecture model is always well, you put you stand up some sort of service layer like an a, a REST API that sits in front of your database. Like you never want your mobile apps talking directly to a database. Um, is, is Cosmos designed in a way where it you would actually encourage client-side applications to just go directly to it? I think it's, I mean, there is always, uh, it's a spectrum. There are always scenarios where it doesn't work. But for the most part, unless you have complex authorization rules uh, or complex transactional rules that you really want to do two things at the same time um, and not one be, uh, without the other, uh, if you can take advantage, Cosmos DB comes with built-in authorization rules and and authentication. Uh, so as long as you can, as long as it works for you, it's preferable that you hit the database first, and then you have microservices that react to the changes. You have functions uh, built that, that encapsulates logic. This event-driven um, microservices architecture works better, for example, with offline scenarios. Like if you want to build with common and mobiles that where like your, your interactions are local on the device, then you sync your data uh, to the cloud. It's much better if you sync directly to the database uh, by passing these middle tiers. And then you have a bunch of microservices that know what to do with this data. Um, so if I have, let's say I have a mobile app and the user is doing, like you said, it, there's a whole, some sort of stream of data um, specific to that user going you know, through whatever the mechanism is, going from that application now into Cosmos DB, um, and that's in one region of the world. And let's say that I, I've chosen, I've checked a whole bunch of those boxes in the, the, the Azure portal that says, I want this replicated all over the place. Like how, how quickly does it make it to those other nodes? Um, it's a speed of light. Um, 
and I mean, obviously there is, but it's a speed of light for you to check how quickly it appeared there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you won't see a difference. That's fair. Um, um, is there any sort of, when you go back to that, that sort of SLA guarantee, um, side of things, are there any guarantees also around replication latency? Yeah. In, in and it gets into a consistency topic, right? So there are systems, uh, for a long time, databases forced people to choose between either strong consistency where writes become really slow because you have to, you can't acknowledge the write until it's got replicated everywhere, uh, or, uh, eventual, where you you write and you don't really know when it's gonna make it uh, and available for it will become available for read. Um, with Cosmos DB, and then people tried to offer a gazillion of options that try to kind of offer trade-off and navigate the cap theorem, and it's um, it can get like if you look at the you know Cassandra consistency settings. Uh, it get, can get really complicated really fast. Um, with Cosmos DB, the approach we took is we took they captured the scenarios from the kind of we have a, what 50 years worth of experience in distributed apps, and we give you five um, consistency choices, okay, each with a trade-off, clear trade-off between consistency desired and performance that you get. For example, for apps, session consistency tends to be working very really well because session consistency gives you the performance and the cost of eventual. Uh, with session consistency, what we guarantee is that a holder, a participant within the same session, whether it's you just means that you are the same user or just have the same session token, um, always gets the rights, the, the latest rights. So you, you get, like from your perspective, the data is consistent. Some other user may not be able to see your rights, but they likely don't care um, because you know, they work with their own data. Um, and you get the, from the database perspective, you can achieve this and offer all the benefits of eventual consistency, where it's very low cost, high performance, um, but you get perception of strong uh, for your scenario. There is bounded staleness where we, you tell us Here's the maximum lag that I ex is acceptable to me for replication between the write is committed and the reads become available. Um, and we'll guarantee that lag. Um, kind of the smaller, the smaller that lag you get, uh, the potentially more delay you may get if you have conflicting, and it only work, if it, it, it only matters, it only becomes uh, affecting your rights performance when you get into the conflicting situations. Um, but otherwise, you won't see. So bound and staleness is very popular. Uh, more than 90% of customers choose options in between, between strong and eventual, uh, to find that trade-off. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and when you're in that sort of bound... Uh, bounded stateless, did I get that yeah, right? Yeah, um, bounded stateless. Yeah. Like, what is the sort of floor of the that like la acceptable latency that that you can actually set there? We actually see you. So we uh, release the uh, there's a chart called PBS probabilistic. Uh, uh, what is it like prob probabilistic boundless stateless? Mm -hmm. um, and it shows you the distribution of the time between the write is committed and data available for it, mm -hmm. empirically based on the data for your Cosmos D account. Uh, roughly, I mean, it depends on how far the region is, but let's say if it's from US to Australia, um, probably the longest span, um, it doesn't exceed 200 milliseconds. 
Okay, so it's still pretty fast overall. It's fast. Yeah. I mean, it's limited by speed of light. Right, and you know, physics is, is yes. tricky, right? <laughs> so, I mean, that'll be the next version of Cosmos, I assume, where you introduce, uh, you know, it'll be quantum DB or something, I guess, where you can get around some of that. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know if we can, but... Uh, <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, and and I th I think it's that's also one of the things that I personally found really interesting of like, you know, offering a little more control and those those middle settings in between, you know, you know, sort of the gray area inside of the cap theorem and not just being slammed to to one setting versus another. Um, is that something that you can also change your mind on down the line? Like, and just is it a slider that you say, okay, well, you know, that that consistency mode isn't working out for us. Let's let's move the slider. Like, is there anything to worry about there? Yeah, yeah, you can you can actually set it up on per request level. Like you can say that okay, this request will be with this consistency. Okay, and so that's actually part of the API. Then you can, when you're sending something in, you can override whatever yeah. the base setting is. Yeah, you can set you set the default um, in the portal or, or through API, and you can change it. But uh, you set the default, and then you can set it on the on per request basis. From there. Oh wow, that's really powerful then. Yeah. Um, so I want to dig into the the data side of this a little bit because I think. Um, at least like from my perspective and having talked through it with with other people like I think it's obvious that Cosmos DB is is really really cool but I think also because of the fact that I mean you say okay well there's there's a table API there's there's a Mongo API now there's a graph gremlin API now there's a Cassandra API as of as of yesterday are these sort of facades over whatever database type um, Cosmos is under the hood or are you actually, you know, are they different databases under the hood? Right, it's a great question. Um, these are facades. So these are API, this is protocol level compatibility uh, backed by the same system. Uh, we do map, in the end, we do map data to one data model uh, underneath the covers. Um, and the reason we did it, uh, as opposed to just managing Cassandra as a Cassandra clusters ourselves, um, is uh, because it allows us to bring all these benefits of global distribution, intuitive choices of consistency, guaranteed latency, guaranteed throughput to all of these APIs. Because if you're just running Cassandra as a cluster, well, you can only do as good as people who really know Cassandra for on the cluster. You can't go beyond that. But if you provide the API uh, layer, but it, Behind the scenes, you can innovate and you can bring like this. We we are good at, we are honest. We are not the best API designers, but we are good at building backend systems. We are good at building cloud optimized, uh, infinitely scalable uh, database backend systems, and uh, we can do a. It's also obvious that we can do a better job on Azure than the author of the open source database because they are not building it for Azure. They're building it to run anywhere, right? So it's like it's a trade-off. We can optimize. We know exactly what happens if, if we get the signal that uh, VM gets reimaged. From Cassandra perspective, that means a node went down, so it has to rebuild. From our perspective, we just know that, okay, it's just temporary off. We don't have to rebuild. It'll, it'll get the VM gets upgraded, uh, OS gets upgraded, and it'll be back up. Back up. So there's lots of these knowledge of the platform allows us to provide a lot more optimizations. Um, we can build from the multi-tenant from the start, so we can we have we have very tight resource governance. Uh, something that you, if you build open source database, it's not a problem for you. So you're not you're not optimizing for it. 
But in, in, once you do this, then you can provide guarantees on latency, guarantees on throughput, which is very hard if you didn't do it. If you don't have resource governance, you can't really guarantee the throughput. You can just say, well, if you put the CPU on that, if you have that much data, that's up to the limits that you can get. But it may vary. Your luck may vary. Well, in Cosmos DB, we can guarantee you, yes, you're going to get 100,000 um, requests per second. Now, today, tomorrow, until the end of time, it doesn't matter how much data you're storing. Okay. So that's a reason. That's a reason to provide to go with API layer approach, as opposed to building five different databases. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, to dig in on that a little bit more, and maybe this is getting, well, not maybe. This is definitely getting more on the, you know, a little bit peeking under the covers. Um, just on some things I'm curious around there, because I mean, I look at when I look at the list of the those API types that are that are exposed like i said you have relational where you know relational databases exist for a reason to it allows you to easily model relational data right you have something like mongo which lets you model documents you have something like cassandra which is more you know column based or you have uh, graph databases which are hyper focused on you know well graph queries and being able to traverse graphs and stuff like that i mean how does that sort of play into the the design of cosmos under the hood where you know in theory you're trying to optimize for all of what all of these specialized databases are really really good at right like how does that play out yeah it's a, it's a good question yes yes there's always uh in other words you're asking can you really do as good of a job as a graph specialized database sort of i suppose yeah uh, right and provide multimodal and it turns out that you can um so it turns out that um and we like we've we looked at it for a long time. Kind of there was a discussion. Well, I mean, we yeah we can go, but like how 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 far can we take it? Uh, it turns out we can take it very far. Um, the data model aspect, as long as you pro your core data model covers all, uh, is a superset of of all of these, then you are covered. Um, and Cosmos DB, the internal the core data model is a superset of everything that we expose. Uh, the Performance of the of the queries, because the query the query engine um, is a layer, and for graphs, for example, we have a specialized graph query engine. Um, we can build those optimizations specifically for graphs, and we know that it's that what's coming in is a graph query. Um, so that's how we can make it more We can make it performant. We can uh, we can optimize for that at no. Um, at no downside to other APIs. Okay, so is it sort of conceptually, like a, I'm just sort of playing this out in my head, and it sort of feels like like the Cosmos API layer, you, you're probably adding something akin to like an index, for lack of a better term, that helps map whatever that, that outer, you know, say it's a graph database style, you know, something that helps traverse Cosmos, however Cosmos stores it under the hood, helps it traverse that quickly and performantly in, in a graph style or I think Other in things? indexing is the same everywhere. Um, so the the uh, the original indexing of Cosmos DB, uh, the, the underlying indexing of Cosmos DB is like an is an innovation. Uh, we allow we we allow you to achieve infinite throughput while with a low very low index overhead. So we can index everything and so keep your queries fast. Um, so indexing is um, is there. The we give you specialized query processing. Let's say for graphs. That runs in the front before it hits before it hits the storage, uh, so that allows to optimize for graphs, 
It allows us to optimize for graphs without affecting the other APIs. Uh, so it's kind of separation of there is a store, there is a storage, there is a core data model, there is indexing on on the, or there is in, in, indexes on the storage, and then there is query layer. And for something like graph, we obviously have to do additional work um, to provide uh, optimized graph queries. And is this something that you can sort of, like if I have one database in Cosmos DB and maybe some applications would benefit from access, accessing and storing things in a graph style, some would, might you know, prefer a document style. Is there any ability to mix and match these things? Or is that really, is one of the reasons you're able to get this level of performance because you you just have to make that choice up front and then you optimize across the board for that? You can mix and match to the extent that it's meaningful. Um, so uh, you can add edges to your documents and have a graph. Um, and it's a scenario, it makes sense, um, and people want it, and we have it. You probably don't really need to uh, look at your MongoDB data using Azure Table Storage API. Like, why would you do that? You have Mongo API already. Um, so, where the data models are uh, differ and the type systems differ, um, you are pinned to that API. You create, if you create a Mongo API, you're using using us as a Mongo as a, as a MongoDB database. Um, maybe we'll we'll figure out if we can allow you later on to add graph edges because that's that's interesting. That may be interesting, but we don't allow you to kind of quickly switch to table API, for example. Because I think why would you do that? Um, sure. Yeah, I'm just. Yeah, just thinking of like it, trying to get my head around no, like exactly what's yeah, possible. Makes sense. It's more we are scenario driven, right? So the reason we did multi-model is to allow people to move their existing Mongo and Cassandra systems over and take advantage of what we have, uh, and helps them. Um, it's um, less about mixing and matching. Um, graph is an exception where yeah, there is an interesting scenario of mixing and matching graph queries with regular. But I guess the other ones are pretty discrete and separate things. Yeah, yeah there is. Yeah, I mean, it's like if scenario arise, arises and we'll reconsider. So far, I think everyone's happy with the APIs they like. And you mentioned that you know part of the way that Cosmos was designed like allowed you to to you know the it had a superset of the features of all of the, these different API layers. Um, does that apply to if you wanted to, you know, yesterday you announced Cassandra, like, you know, is there anything stopping you from adding more and more API compatibility layers? Is, is the only requirement that, you know, the, the feature set is a, a subset of what Cosmos has? Um, pretty much. And of course, we can add more features to Cosmos DB uh, to accommodate. Um, I think we want to do a good job with the sets that we have. Um, so Cassandra is in preview. There's a lot of work remains to make it general availability quality to get to 100% compatibility. And so we want to focus on that first and before considering adding more. Um, That's fair. <laughs> there is, uh, yeah, I think customers would hope that as well. Um, I think there is, there are other APIs that are interesting, like HBase could be interesting. Um, to add later on, uh, but we are more. Um, I think we want to get 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 the get the current set well, and also we uh, the reason people move to Cosmos DB is to take advantage of the features in the backend. So I think it's prudent that we invest in the backend and make it better and better, um, than keep focusing only just on the API layer. Yeah, I mean, 
like like you were saying before, there's there's a pretty wide swath of API layers available now that cover, you know, if you want a document store type thing, you've got that. If you want relational, that's there. Graph, that's there. Um, so, so, yeah, I think that definitely makes a lot of sense to, to spend time honing the, the back end there. Um, kind of speaking a little bit more to the, the programming model then, like if I'm a developer, uh, okay, I've set up, I've, you know, click through or I've done the ARM templates to set up some, some Cosmos DB stuff in, in Azure. Now I want to start working against that and, um, you know, maybe a .NET app or, or some other app. Like what is the, the SDK experience like? Like what languages are supported? You have a choice. Um, you use, you get all the Mongo drivers on all the platforms that Mongo drivers are available, which is pretty much every, every platform <laughs> out there. Um, you get, um, like if you're building a Xamarin app, um, since we're on Gold Mobile uh, podcast, you can use the uh, Cosmos DB uh, SQL um, SDK. Um, that there is a Xamarin compatible uh, portable library um, that you can use um, directly. Um, you can use every driver that has that there is for Gremlin. You can use every driver that there is for Cassandra. Um, currently, we support level four uh, protocol, but we'll go down a little too to to support more. Um, the uh, native SQL API, which is also our core API, kind of core programming, core data models, that's available on uh, Node.js, Java, .NET, uh, Python. Um, Mongo is available on much broader set of. That's the beauty, right? That we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I, I guess that's true, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point of having this compatibility layer is that everyone else has already written these drivers that yeah. can just do the work for you as yeah. long as you conform to those yeah. platforms. And they did so much better jobs than we would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, was it, was it something the team had a difficult time with, like trying to get to 100% compatibility on, on some of these things? Because, I mean, these are all databases that, like, Mongo's been around for years at this point, right? So there's there's a lot to those databases. And it's not easy. And Sandra and all the rest of them. It's not easy. And it's uh, we've been working on Mongo for a couple of years now. Um, so it's... Um, and from time to time, we still discover some things. Like, we announced aggregation pipeline yesterday. Um, so kind of we keep... Keeping keep adding any edge cases that we forgot or any additional things areas that we haven't supported yet, uh, but like a ton of customers now on Mongo API uh, that was really a successful um, option and um, the good thing is that we have telemetry so we see which what is failing and we fix it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, speaking of telemetry, then like as you know. Okay, so I'm, I'm a Cosmos customer now. I've got this, uh, you know, SLA that I'm going to cling to because Microsoft said all my requests are going to happen within X milliseconds. Um, can I just open up, say, like App Insights and, and make you prove that your, you know, your latency is, is well within the SLA? Like, what does that look like? Like, what is the ins inspection abilities of right. Cosmos? Um, well, we do show all the characteristics, including latency, performance, throughput uh, on, in the portal in our metrics. So you can look at our metrics and see. Uh, you can use App Insights as well. Um, you will be measuring latency between the your application send request and your application received response. Um, if it's in the same data center, then you'll see roughly the same um, what we guarantee. Of course, we cannot do any guarantees on what's happening outside of data center. Um, so if you're measuring on the mobile device, it'll be a little longer. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, App Insights works, um, gives you pretty detailed view um, if you're using 
Cosmos DB um, HTTP uh, protocol. Um, and we are there working on adding the uh, native uh, TCP-based uh, protocol support as well. Okay. And then speaking of performance, even just from a, a developer standpoint, and, and I suspect the answer to this is going to be similar to, to some of the other ones based on the, the API compatibility stuff. Um, you know, the, you know, when you're dealing with any sort of database, you're always sort of worried about like making, you know, doing, uh, you know, query analysis and, you know, performance profiling and, you know, adding indexes in the right places and stuff. Um, what sort of, do you get any ability to, to really inspect into that level of, of the queries so that you can figure out where your performance bottlenecks are, or figure out where you have bad queries and things like that? Uh, we give you two things. We give you the, the uh, request units consumed. Uh, so Cosmos DB offers, uh, the offering of Cosmos DB is that you define a partition key and you set the throughput that you want out of Cosmos DB, and then we guarantee it. You, just, you define the throughput in terms of request units. It's like currency. It's like a dollar, but a much stronger currency because it doesn't change. Um, so it's if uh, one read of 1K document uh, costs one request unit, and it will cost one request unit tomorrow until the end of time. Um, each request, each transaction costs, it has a price, has a, has a price tag in request units. And you define your throughput in request units per second. And uh, we give you the request units consumed. Every time you send a request to Cosmos DB, you get back a header with the request units consumed. Um, that's one piece of information that helps you understand which queries are more expensive than others. Uh, the other piece of information is uh, we give you query statistics, uh, which you can you can you can request um, as you as you perform a request. We give you back query statistics. Uh, I can't say we do as good of a job as let's say SQL and Query Analyzer. We're not there yet. Um, well, that's, that's a tough bar to set too. Yes, yeah. yeah, I mean like those guys. Like SQL had you know decades of experience and. Uh, and uh, really, and like it's a, it's an awesome experience. So we'll we'll get there. Um, just not not quite there yet. Um, but the query, the 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 charts, the throughput charts that allow you to inspect your traffic patterns and your hot partition, identify your hot partition keys. Uh, that's very useful. The the charges per request that you get, that's very useful information. And the query statistics, if you kind of want to drill into one particular query. Uh, those three data points uh, give you a pretty good idea where the problem is. Gotcha. And then, you, so you mentioned being able to base a lot of this off of your partition keys. Like, is that something that you can you can go back and change and tune later, or is that something that you, again that you set up front and you're sort yeah. of stuck? That's a that's a tricky part. Yes, it's uh, always like we say that transparent partitioning. You don't need to worry about. It. There's one Except, thing you need to worry yeah. about. <laughs> you need to worry about partition key. Uh, now. Um, for real-time data scenarios where data is short-lived, uh, there is a TTL on it. Um, if you pick the wrong partition key, let's say like a common scenario, you pick the city as a partition key, and then you discover that there's a city like New York um, that gets required. There's a lot of us here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in which, in that case, uh, if you if you're dealing with real-time data, then eventually the old, old data TTLs out, so you can split. You can start splitting, and new records will get partitioned correctly, and the old records eventually will go away. Um, uh, we automatically split our partitions um, based on throughput and storage. So you don't need to, as long as your partition key itself is small enough to fit within one physical boundary, which is relatively big. It has to fit in inside. It cannot go, cannot go beyond 100 gig. 
it is not recommended to have it more actually beyond 10, 10, 10 gigabytes and it cannot it's not recommended to go beyond one gigabyte like we prefer the partition keys to be small the value spaces of partition keys to be small um, but it's still enough the rest of it will partition correctly and will move if one part if you know there is New York and Chicago go into the same partition we'll split it um, eventually if we, if the data grows but the if you have a problem with like one partition key went to 10 gig and more um, if it's a real-time short-lived data it's easy to solve if it's not a short-term lived data it's a little harder to solve um, we offer you transaction support so you can do store procedures and you can do kind of delete and insert so you can move some of the data using store procedures um, transactionally um, without any loss. But yeah, repartitioning is never an easy problem. I think that's tricky in, in any data system, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so while we still have a few minutes here, one of the other things I really wanted to touch on was I know that there's some ability to sort of connect some of your the Cosmos transactions and queries and um, inserts and, and what have you with, with Azure Functions and being able to, to tie all that together. And can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what we observed is a very common pattern with Cosmos DB is uh, event-driven um, microservices architectures. Let's say you have shopping cart events. Uh, lots of retailers are using Cosmos DB, and some of them pretty high high, vol high volume, like Jet.com and ASOS. Uh, and they get a lot of events into Cosmos DB real time, and then they have a bunch of microservices that are listening on those events. And functions is a great way to offer those microservices uh, because now you don't need to worry about polling. Uh, and they dynamically scale uh, as the traffic varies. Um, the functions will decide, will determine if it's falling behind and it will make sure that it will provision more, throw more throughput in it so to keep, um, to keep up to speed with the, change, with the data change rate. Um, it's very exciting right? because see, now you can write code that just listens, it just gets the new documents, change documents, and process them. And you can add as many of these functions as you want, multiple. So you can manage them individually, so you don't have to redeploy the entire system. Um, it's um, very convenient. You only pay for the compute that you use, um, so it's also very cost-efficient. Um, very common pattern. Um, lots of other examples, like you, you, you know, use functions to trigger push notifications in response to data changes, like the kind of classic one. Uh, yeah. So what are the what are the different input events that you can get at a Cosmos that could trigger a, a function? Uh, we listen on all on all events, whether it's an update of a document, a new document inserted, or um, you you don't get the TTL events yet. Uh, so if we assist, if we uh, we have this time to live setting on the documents, and uh, you don't get the events if kind of we TTL, but everything else you, you get. And you can decide what to do with it. You get the document and you go and do what you want to do. Um, it's um, There is no scale limit, which is nice with functions. I mean, there's always some scale limit, but there's no realistic practical scale limit. Right. You scale to Azure's ability and your wallet's ability, yes, basically, yes, right? Exactly, That's yeah, yeah. Um, so, and one of the other sides of, of Azure Functions that, that I always love that to me sets it apart from some of the other serverless ones is in addition to just having those input event bindings, there's output bindings that makes it really easy from a function to put something in blob storage or put it in table storage or send it to GitHub or something. Like, are there output bindings as well? Yes, yeah. So you can, like, you can easily copy one collection to the other. Uh, people use it to create snapshots. Um, 
people use it to copy, people use it to replicate uh, hot path data to a colder data. So you don't have to provision as much throughput on the colder data. People use it to TTL data from Cosmos DB to blob storage for later kind of cold uh, Hadoop, running Hadoop jobs on it. Um, there are lots of scenarios like this. You can do, um, in fact, you, you can use, uh, if you use Trill, you can use time, um, time, series, uh, time series queries inside functions. That's also pretty exciting. Uh, so there's lots of interesting opportunities. Yeah, yeah, just being able to use it in that, in that sort of way, just it, it opens up a lot of stuff, which is really exciting. You can build sure. these Lambda architectures where your data goes into three streams and if each stream is it for different purposes. Exactly. Um, I mean, I think we're unfortunately out of time. I could talk about Cosmos for a while. Maybe we'll have to have you back on for, for some follow-up shows. But, uh, but I hope Connect was, was an awesome event for you. And thanks for, for taking some time to chat about this. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, can, we can spend more time specifically on mobile, <laughs> maybe in another episode. There's lots of, kind of things like offline. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, we'll definitely have you back. But uh, thanks for joining me. And thanks, as always, for everyone for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time on Gone Mobile. Thank you. Thank you.